Last week was God's word. This week is discipleship. Next week is covenant family. Is that correct? I'm looking at Mario. Okay. (laughs) He'll be preaching next week. And then we'll do worship uh, the fourth week. And then we'll do the gospel the last week. These are not in order of importance. They're all important. This morning we come to discipleship. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read first what is written there on the back of your bulletin as it relates to the core value of discipleship. And then I will turn our attention to God's word. So there on the back of your bulletin, discipleship is partnership with the church as God grows us in our faith to become more and more like Jesus Christ. Because we have been delivered from the bondage of sin, we are called to embrace the transforming power of God through his Holy Spirit that enables us to be free from self-righteousness and self-condemnation as we diligently pursue lives of faithfulness and personal holiness. Let's give our attention now to the reading and hearing of God's word, his holy inspired and inerrant word in Colossians 2, verses six and seven. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for providing it for us and sustaining it through the ages that we might have it. And it's been read here this morning in a language common to us, a language that we understand But we come to you now, O God, and ask that you would grant us more than physical hearing and understanding, but that you would grant us spiritual hearing and understanding. O God, give us ears to hear. Lord, give us hearts that are receptive. And Lord, do your work in us. Lord, we thank you that your word was given for purpose. And one of those purposes is that so we Lord, would grow in grace and knowledge and that you would use it, the preaching of it, the teaching of it, that we might be made more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. So teach us and train us, correct us, rebuke us for righteousness sake. And oh God, help me, your servant. Would you protect me from error? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable unto you, oh God. You are our rock and our redeemer. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There was once a young woman who was eager, eager to grow in her Christian faith. One day she got out a piece of paper and she made a list of all the things that she was planning to do for God. Resolutions, we might call them. She wrote down the things that she was going to give up. She wrote down the places to where she would go and minister. She wrote down the areas of service that she would grow in. She was so excited about her list that she took a copy of that list to church with her on Sunday. And when church was over, she walked up to the altar and left it on the altar. She gave it all to God. She thought she was going to feel something. She thought that joy would erupt within her heart, but it didn't. She felt a little empty. 
So she went home and she started adding to her list. She wrote down more things that she would do. She wrote down more places to where she would go. And she took some time to write some things she wouldn't do anymore. She took a copy of that longer list with her to church the following Sunday and did the same thing. When church was over and most people were gone, she came up front and she left it there on the altar, giving it all to God again. She felt nothing. If anything, she felt a little silly. She felt empty. That week, she decided to set up a time to meet with her pastor. She told him her situation, all that she had done, and asked for his help. Pastor, what do I do? After a moment, he reached into his desk and he pulled out a blank piece of paper and he gave it to her. And he said, instead of a list, I want you to simply sign your name at the bottom of this sheet of paper and then I want you to go and leave it at the altar. Instead of telling God all the great things that you are going to do for him, perhaps you're being called to simply submit yourself to him. And then perhaps you're being called to watch and wonder as he does great things in and through you. She sat for a moment, thought about it, and she did the wise thing. She took her pastor's advice, wink, wink, and she left it there at the altar. And immediately peace filled her heart. Peace filled her soul. You and I live in a world filled with overpromise and underdeliverance. We live in a world where peace can seem just as elusive as truth and advertising. Self-help, self-promotion, and self-satisfaction are just as much the air we breathe as are the three-step, five-step, and 10-step plans for our transformed lives. You know, those plans that fill our bookshelves and saturate our social media feeds. But you know, as we turn to this week's core value, discipleship, as we consider discipleship and what it means to and for our church, I'm afraid that this modern fascination with linear progress, this fascination with logical calculations, this fascination with self-directed pursuits have clouded. And at times they've even overcomplicated the simple yet mysterious reality of our union with the Lord Jesus Christ through faith in him and our subsequent inevitable growth in his grace and knowledge. Do you hear what I said? Because we're united to Christ, we will grow in him. Now listen, I'm not against plans or programs or systems. I wouldn't be standing before you if I was against those. I like them. I like discipleship plans. I like discipleship programs. I like discipleship systems. I just grow weary that we put so much emphasis on human efforts when the emphasis should be on God and what God has done, what God is doing and what God will most certainly do. I understand that we have a responsibility in our discipleship. And I understand that we will certainly be held accountable for that responsibility. 
But if we begin and end with us and our responsibility, if we minimize or even neglect God's work in and through it all, then we will find that we've been doing little more than just heaping self-righteousness and self-condemnation upon ourselves over and over and over again. It's not that doing things for God is bad. That's good. It's doing it for the right reason and according to the right power the power at work within us this morning to help us see this more clearly. We're going to look at the passage before us, Colossians 2, 6 and 7. We're going to look at it from the inside out. You're like, what? We're going to start in the middle and then we're going to work our way outward. What do I mean? What I mean is this, the The clear command, when you're looking at a passage of scripture like this, you always wanna know what are the imperatives, right? What is the clear command? What's the great imperative or imperatives of this passage? There's only one. It's right at the beginning. Walk in Christ. Walk in Christ. The great imperative of this passage is found in one verb. You'll see it also in Ephesians, Philippians, right? You'll see it in 1 Thessalonians. You'll see it in the book of Hebrews. You'll see this throughout the Bible. We're to walk in Christ. Walk. Walk in him. Walk in Christ. That tells us, I'm applying it this way, that this is the aim. This is the aim of Christian discipleship, to walk in Christ. And then when we follow this command to walk in Christ, we will do as the end of verse seven says, another verb, abound. Abound in thanksgiving. You see, that's the result of walking in Christ. That's the result of being a disciple of Jesus, a life of thankfulness, a life of worship, a life that is transformed and directed to the glory of God and God alone. But in the middle, in the middle between these two verbs, sandwiched between them is the blessed and beautiful reality of how, the how we will be able to walk in Christ so that we will abound in thanksgiving. Did you catch that? the reality of how we will be able to walk in Christ and therefore abound in thanksgiving. How do we do it? There's three verbs there, three key verbs, rooted, built up, and established. Rooted, built up, and established. So we're gonna begin there. We're gonna begin with those three verbs. We'll begin there in the middle. We'll begin by seeing what God is doing in our discipleship. We're gonna begin with God. What is God doing in our walking in Christ? And that's our first of two points this morning. If you're taking notes, there's only two. Mike's not here, he went to teach kids rock, but contrary to what Mike said last week, you don't have to have three points to a sermon. Sometimes you can have two. So if you're taking notes, our first one is what God is doing in our discipleship. What God is doing. To walk in Christ, Paul first says that you must be rooted in him. You must be rooted in Christ. Interestingly, the very word he uses here for rooted, for those of you who like grammar, it's actually in the perfect tense. This means that it's an action that happened in the past, but it has continuing effect. 
okay? Happened in the past, but has continuing effects. Your roots have been sunk into Christ and they continue to be. So they have been and continue to be sunk into him. Maybe even more interesting from a grammar perspective is that this word for rooted is also in the passive voice, meaning that the action is not something that you have done or are doing on your own, but rather it is something that has been done to you, having been rooted in Christ. It's passive. So by God's grace, you've been rooted in Christ and also by his grace, you continue to be rooted in Christ. And it is God, it is God who has and is doing the rooting, R-O-O-T-I-N-G. God is the one who has been and is doing the rooting. This is an agricultural metaphor Paul likes to use different metaphors in his letters. And here he'll use three different ones. This first one is an agricultural metaphor and he wants us to picture something. And so, hey kids, what have roots? Plants, right? Trees. Trees, plants, they have roots. Paul wants us to see a tree that's firmly rooted in the soil. Good roots, It gets water and nutrients so that it's able to grow and and be healthy. It can withstand storms that blow against it and it can endure in times of drought. You'll see a tree and say, how in the world does this tree make it? Because of its roots. Think about the first time you learned that as a child. I can't see the roots. How do I know they're there? You start digging, right? And you see them. And if you've ever pulled out a tree, sometimes they surprise you, don't they? How far they go, how deep they go. It's roots. But notice the roots are hidden from view, but they're essential. They're essential. Without deep and largely unseen roots, the tree will what? It's gonna fall over in a storm or it might wither and die during a drought. I hope you know from where Paul gets this picture. This isn't new. I believe that Paul is appealing here to Jeremiah chapter 17. Turn there with me. Jeremiah 17, five through eight. This beautiful picture of the Christian life. Jeremiah 17, beginning in verse five, thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He's like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. So cursed, cursed is this one. Now look at verse seven, blessed is the one. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green. 
And it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Blessed is the one whose trust is in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. The Lord is our trust. We do, yes, trust in him, but because he is our trust. I believe Paul is appealing here to Jeremiah 17 for this picture of being rooted, rooted in Christ, drinking deeply of his grace. You see, if you're truly in Christ, if we have, as Paul says in verse six, if we've received Christ Jesus, the Lord, if we put our faith in Jesus alone, then our roots are indeed sunk deeply into his rich and his fertile soil. And even if we happen to be planted in a dry and parched land, our roots will still tap into his streams of living water. So if we're going to walk in Christ, we will be rooted in him. Paul then goes on to say, to walk faithfully in Christ, you also need to be built up. You also need to be built up. Here, Paul moves from the agricultural metaphor to an architectural one. Hopefully you see that. He's using this term, built up, put together, constructed. Now the tense of the verb has also changed, not only the metaphor, but the tense of the verb has. It's not perfect tense, it's present tense. You are being built up. I use the word being there because it's still in the passive voice though. This is being done to you. God is building you up. God is doing it. The building up is something being done to us. We are being carved by the master builder. We're being chiseled away so that we will become, like Peter says over in his letter, living stones living stones so that each of us can be fitted properly together to become a building fit for Christ. And Christ himself, Peter says, will be the cornerstone of that building. But I love the fact that in present tense, the picture for us is a building under construction. It's a building being worked on. It's moving toward completion. Have you ever watched a, a building under construction from a distance? Sometimes the progress is very evident, is it not? You see the frame go up, the roof goes on. But at other times, you see all the cars outside, you see all the men and women running in and out, but you don't know what's going on. You're like, what in the world is happening over there? Why are there so many people there? I can't see what's going on. What are they even doing this week? Well, they were inside working on things you couldn't see from the outside, and eventually you probably won't see from the inside, like wiring. Plumbing, Jeremy, help me. <laughs> Other finishing details. <laughs> I'm really bad at this. But every part of the work, exterior, interior, seen, unseen, all of it is absolutely essential for the finished building to function properly. Every part is absolutely essential. This is also very true for those of us who are being built up as Christ's body, as we seek to walk in him. Sometimes there's obvious changes in our lives that others can easily see. <laughs> we turn from sin to Jesus and profess faith in him for the first time and we begin living for Jesus, right? That's one thing that we can see. Perhaps we turn away from a public besetting sin. Perhaps we take on a new ministry responsibility or use gifts that become evident to others, 
Or perhaps we just start to engage people in other outward ways. Yet more often, the Lord is steadily at work on areas that aren't as public or aren't as dramatic, but they're just as necessary. We learn to trust and obey him in the little daily matters. Our attitudes towards life and others begin to shift and change for good. We put to death the lust of the flesh. We begin to seek after God more and more in prayer. Like those buildings often were being transformed from the inside out, gradually being built up in him. So there's no doubt then that if we're walking in Christ, we're also being built up as his body. That's what Paul wants us to know. God is certainly at work among us. He's transforming us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. I just wanna take a moment and acknowledge that sometimes that work doesn't even feel like construction, does it? Sometimes it feels like a big old demolition project. Nobody else experienced that before? Sometimes you gotta tear something down to build up something in its place, don't you? The building happens, but sometimes things do have to be torn down. So maybe you're in the middle of one of God's big demolition projects right now. It's okay. He's doing a good work. He's doing a good work. The Lord is building something beautiful. The Lord is doing something wonderful. So Paul's used an agricultural metaphor. He's used an architectural metaphor. And now he turns to a legal metaphor to highlight what God is doing in our discipleship. And our resident lawyer smiled. All right. The word established is used here as a legal term. It means to confirm to guarantee, to make irrevocable. And by using this word, Paul is likely considering the the assurance that grows, that growing assurance that we gain as we come to understand and embrace the unchangeable truth that God has given to us in his word. For when we learn from there, think about what we learn from the Bible, the guaranteed promises that God has given to us through Jesus Christ. Think of all the manifold promises of God that come to life for us in his word. Think of how his word ministers to our soul and teaches us how we are to pursue him and pray to him and live for him. When that becomes more and more precious to us, guess what? Our confidence grows. We become more established. We're able to stand in full confidence in God's promises. Yeah, sometimes the wrecking ball comes by and wallops us pretty good, but it's so that we're built back stronger, more established. So I find it interesting then to see that this word established is also given in the present tense with a passive voice. You're being established. This means that it is an ongoing process that is done to us by an outside source. I'll say it again, God is the one doing it. God is the one establishing us in the faith. So think about this for a moment. If you just think about all the forces at work against you, against us, against the church, do we have enough time to list them all? We could just start with our enemy, right? And move on and on. Sometimes it's even ourselves, is it not? Think about all the forces at work against us. I hope you find assurance knowing that there's a greater force at work. 
There's an even greater force at work ensuring that we indeed do stay on course for Jesus Christ. That's the comfort to be found here that God himself is the one who is establishing us in our faith. He's the one making it sure. He's the one making it true. That's good news. God is the one making it true. I think it was J.I. Packer, maybe D.A. Carson who said, I'm sorry, I don't remember exactly who. It's not the quality of our faith that is central to our discipleship. It's the object of our faith that is central to our discipleship. That's good news. It's not the quality. Certainly not the quantity. It's the object to whom is our faith directed? To whom are we following after? I want you to be encouraged by this. Be encouraged to know that it is not the quality of your understanding of God's word or the quality of your ability to live according to his word that makes you able to walk faithfully in Christ. It has nothing to do with quality. Rather, it has everything to do with the one who is at work in you to take the objective truths of the faith and the objective demands of his righteousness and then open your mind, open your heart, and then open your hands and your feet to know and to pursue and to live out that faith for his glory and for your good, to walk in Christ as his disciple. So look at that, Christians. We just went right into the heart of this passage, right into the middle. Look what God has done. Look what God is doing and look what God will do in your discipleship. You have been rooted in Christ. You are being built up in Christ and you are being established in the faith. God is doing a wondrous work. I see it. I see it. He's doing a wonderful thing. So that leaves us with our second and final point this morning. What we are called to do in our discipleship. What God has done, what we are called to do. Well, simply put, walk in Christ. There you go. God bless you. Walk in Christ. Love him. Love him. Pursue him. Live for him. Serve him. Bear fruit for him. Long for him. Die for him if called. Live for him. Oh, there you go. Put a little emotion into it for you. Simple, right? Okay, let's get practical. Let's get practical. Because it really is that simply put. But let's get practical because I think part of my call here is to help you, to help you do this. So first, if you have not already, then to be a disciple of Jesus you must begin by receiving Jesus. That's clear in our text. Having received him, you must repent of your sin and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You must confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. 
then you will be saved. Then you will be a disciple of Jesus Christ. So if you're not a follower of Jesus, receive the Lord Jesus. Believe in him this day and be saved. That's first, that's where it begins. Second, if you're in Christ, you must partner with the church. You must partner with the church. In Matthew 28, Jesus entrusted the discipleship process where he gave the great command to go and make disciples. He gave this and trusted it to his church. And he did so by giving the great command to his apostles through whom his church would be built. That's made clear in Ephesians chapter four, that the church is built on Christ, the cornerstone and on the ministry of the prophets and apostles. You see, Jesus didn't save us so that we would be a band of independent followers doing our own thing. Rather, he saved us so that we would be built up as his body and his body is the bride, the church. Now, I'm not gonna steal Mario's thunder for next week because that's our core value for next week, covenant family, what that looks like as a church. We're a covenant family. We're called to love and serve one another. But for now, I encourage you to partner with the church, the church, not just the Granville Chapel, but partner with the church. I understand some of you are visiting. Maybe you are members of another church. Perhaps you're not ready to join a church yet, but take the church seriously. If you're here this morning and you're looking for a church, if you wanna know how to become a part of a local church to formally join, then come and talk to me or one of the elders. Meet with the elders, profess your faith. Receive the sacrament of baptism if you have not done so already. Beyond that, I encourage you to commit to weekly attendance and participation in the life of the body. The process of discipleship really begins here with the preaching of the word. It's the one shot every week I get, except for the children who are away, but I get to disciple all of you, all right? This is a process of discipleship, is submitting ourselves to the preaching of God's word and also the worship of God together. So I would implore you to make worshiping with Christ's body on the Lord's day a central priority. Third, as you partner with the church, get involved in the church's ministries, Serve others by using the gifts that God has given to you. Uh, attend a Bible study or a small group. If there's nothing that works to you, for you, if you look and say, I can't do any of this, well, go talk to one of the elders. Tell them, I really wanna grow. I really wanna spend time in God's word with other believers, but none of this works. Can you help me? Elders, you're, you're willing to talk to people who ask that, right? They're all shaking their head, yes. Yes, talk to an elder, talk to me. Take advantage of fellowship and service opportunities. I'm amazed at how much discipleship takes place at fellowship activities. And you're like, wait a minute, I thought discipleship was step one, two. Ah, wait a minute, remember? Those processes are great, but sometimes somebody tells you something and you're like, let's take a moment and talk about that. I've been there, let me help you. Let me walk you through that. Let's pray together. And I'm gonna follow up with you and see how it's going. Do you see what's happening? That is also discipleship. Take advantage of those opportunities. Parents, if you have children, shepherd them into the life of the church. Shepherd them into it. Lead your children to walk in Christ. Don't make it optional. Lead them, lead them. Lead them to Kids Rock, to Chapel 456, to Supply. Those are our ministries to the children. 
lead them to it. Say, this is good. You need to be here. This is where you will grow with peers. It's a place for you to grow. Lead your children by direction and by example. Fourth, seek help in your discipleship. Seek out someone who's been walking in Christ longer than you. That's always awkward, isn't it? Hey, old person, can you walk alongside me, the young person? It doesn't always have to do with age, actually. It doesn't have to be. Come alongside someone, right? Ask for help, seek out someone. Perhaps someone's been through a season that you're about to go through and you're like, I don't know what to do. Hey, I see that family. They're leading their, their, their family well through that. I'm about to go through that. I'm gonna go talk to them. Can you help me? Don't be afraid to ask for help. And let me say this too. Don't be afraid to come alongside someone. There are no spiritual gurus among us. We're all disciples, all of us. We're all learning and growing. Don't be afraid to come alongside someone and say, can I help you? Don't be afraid to come alongside someone and say, would you like to meet with me? God, just put it on my heart. I've been praying. God, put it on my heart that I want to meet with you and just read the scripture together. You know, that happened to me in college. I was converted to Christ in high school. I went away to college with no teaching whatsoever, no rooting in a church. And God brought a guy in my dorm across my path who saw my lifestyle and was like, that's not Christian. You say you're Christian, that's not Christian. Well, he didn't have time to meet with me or I don't even know if he knew what to do, but he pointed me to a guy named Sam White who was a retired Baptist minister who just so happened to be volunteering with our Baptist student ministry at Southern Illinois until they could find someone. And Sam calls me one day and says, you're meeting me in the student center at seven o'clock on Wednesday morning. What? I got an eight o'clock class. I'm not meeting you at seven. I was there at seven and I was there Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at seven. And Sam just said, let's read the Bible together. Let's just read the Bible. Let me, let, me, let me show you Jesus in the scriptures. And we're just gonna start in Philippians. Let's just read there. I didn't even know where Philippians was. The fruit that came from that meeting, praise God, that someone just took the time to sit with me, walk with me through the scriptures, answer my questions. You know, there's people in this church ready and willing to do that. Our ladies team, they already have people saying, hey, come to us if you would like someone to walk with you. Sarah, Stacy, raise your hands so everybody knows who to come to. Come to these ladies if you need someone, ladies, to walk beside. As is typical in the church, the guys are still figuring this out, right? <laughs> but come to me, come to any of the elders if you'd like someone to talk to. Again, there are people here eager to do that. Fifth, I want you to embrace the work that God is doing. Embrace the work that God is doing in you by his Holy Spirit. It may not always feel like it. You may not always see it, but God is at work in you. He's sanctifying you. As we've just said, he's building you up in Christ. He's establishing you in the faith. So gladly partner with God in this work. If you've never done so before, begin by reading his word. Just read his Bible. It'd be great to have someone to read it with. The whole church is trying to read together with CBR and others are using other plans, but you can do this on your own. Read his word. It's the blueprint he's using to make you more like Jesus. Talk to God. I remember how awkward it was just to learn how to pray. I mean, my first worship service I walked into and there was, you know, words up on a wall and people were singing to the wall. I'm like, what are you doing? 
what are you people doing? You're singing to the wall, right? Well, I quickly learned what that was, but imagine how uncomfortable it was for me. Like, wait, I can talk to God? Does it have to be out loud? And it just be in the still, small, quiet of my heart? Yeah, yeah, talk to him, pray. Read the Psalms, read the prayers of God's people. If you don't know how to pray, talk to someone. It's relational dialogue that you have with God. Walk according to God's will. That's as revealed in his Bible. Put off sin. Respond to the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. When your heart is prompted, respond. Turn from sin. Turn towards righteousness. And lastly, be thankful. How could I not mention that? Paul did. Be thankful. Abound in thankfulness. God is at work in you, Christian. He is. God's growing you in the faith. Even if you don't check all the boxes that some guru may have put out in a 10-step plan. You're growing. As you walk in Christ, he's walking with you. Christ is helping you become who you already are in him. And boy, did I just drop a bomb, right? Oh, I've hashed we need 30 more minutes for that. But listen, this is the glorious truth of the Christian life is that you live in a suspended reality between the now and the not yet. But you are safe and secure in the arms of Jesus. You will one day be with him. If you are in Christ and you are saved, you will be with him. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. He will surely raise you up on the last day and you will be with him. You are in Christ. That is your future. It's done. It's settled. And right now, as you live for him, as you walk in Christ as his disciple, you're becoming who you already are in the not yet. Do you get it? You're becoming who you are always meant to be in Christ. Now that may have some setbacks, but it only has one great and glorious end. And that is the surety of God's promise that those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also sanctified. And those whom he sanctified, he also glorified. Romans 8, 28 through 30. It's done in God's economy. In the here and now, we move forward. We follow Christ. We love him. We serve him. We live for him. We become more like him. And it's God who's doing it. It's God who's doing it. I can't wait for that day because I don't really like me on a lot of the days before then. But I was reminded of some words that John Newton wrote one time. He said, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world, but still I am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. And what are we? We're disciples. We are followers of Christ, being made more and more into his image. Amen and amen.